0: Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to
1: make the switch today.
0: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines.
1: Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Six or Sense podcast. Today we got AJ and Joe. What's going on, boys? What's good? Not a whole lot. Let's go. All right, so we're five days post game seven, so it still sucks. There's the way that the game ended, but how are you guys feeling about it now? It's like like I'm never the guy to like let get, like
0: losses like affect me into like the next day but like I woke up Monday morning still in disbelief he hit the shot it's like that feeling was just a pit in my stomach and I hadn't like I was just numb I'll never forget that feeling it was awful
2: yeah there's something about witnessing the most gut-wrenching moment of your sports fandom and it it, it still it still stings I, I can't tell you how many times I've watched the, the slow-mo, of that shot, and it still baffles me how it went in, just the way that first bounce went. But, um, yeah, this was our Joe Carter home run of our generation, at least.
1: Definitely the worst feeling, I, just the worst I've I felt during a sporting event in my life. I say, like, I was, the next day I was still just upset. I just was, I kind of knew when there was four seconds left on the clock that Kawhi was going to hit that shot. I just kind of had a feeling, just the way the series had gone with him just completely dominating. But I say I was the most, I guess, bitter on Wednesday Bucks Raptors game one, and I, I knew this. I knew the Sixers team could compete with the Bucks, and just that one game could have cost Sixers a chance of the finals. That one shot. So, they, like this Sixers team could definitely be a finals contender this year. Just they didn't get their role.
2: It kind of ruined your whole playoff experience, you know, the whole the rest of the way through. Because I watch every single one of those teams, and I just think that Sixers could have easily competed with anyone else, and it it just sucks.
0: Well, it's like they say, it's a make or miss league.
2: Yep. Well, I made it. Took four bounces though. I scroll past that shot whenever it's on my timeline. I still can't watch it. In real
1: time, like I watched the. The slow mo version of it in real time. That's about as slow as it felt for me. Like that like it hit the rim and it I just felt like it just lasted thirty seconds before the ball went in. Yeah, that's- slow-mo
0: is like actual time. Like the craziest part is like the view from like the other baseline where you can see the ball like that first big bounce, like not even half the ball is on the right side of the rim for it to roll in and then it hits the other side of the rim and still like half the ball is about to roll out, like The more you watch it, the less it makes sense.
2: If you don't watch that shot and not believe that there is a God, then I don't know who you are. Yeah.
1: I I didn't realize how high the ball went when I initially watched it in that replay. The ball was, like, well over the backboard. And it still just kept rolling around in there. But, like you said, AJ, it's a make-or-miss league. I don't know. I, I was That whole game, the Sixers just were... I don't know. There are points where I'm like, all right, this team's, team's going to make a run and go for it. And then Raptors just kept pushing it. And if Serge Ibaka is going to be the guy that put the, your opponent's team over, then like, so be
2: it. I just so wish that game had gone to OT. I, 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 I just can't, man. If, if, I, I swear if that game went to OT, they were going to win that game.
1: I was kind of nervous because Ben and Tobias both had five fouls. And that's, that was also one of the problems in the fourth quarter, again, was Ben, I would say, maybe with eight minutes left, he got his fifth foul. And so Jimmy and Tobias had to guard him the rest of the game. And Tobias scored 13 of their last 15 points. And that just was the only reason why the Raptors won that game. Kawhi just closed him out. Well, once they started, what did the Sixers start in the first quarter,
0: like 0 for 9?
1: Yeah, one yeah, for 12 at one point.
0: Yeah, once that kind of happened, I figured it was going to be one of those type of games. Because a lot of their looks in the first quarter are really clean. And you just kind of knew it was going to come down to just who gets a lucky roll or who gets like a 5-0 run at some point And that's kind of what happened. But I can actually still feel the spot on my hand where I punched my living room floor a few times when Ben Simmons forgot to box out Serge Ibaka which like I don't want to put it too much on Ben but there was like those offensive rebounds are backbreakers I mean like those stand out in my head almost as much as the shot at some points
2: they literally got outgridded by Kyle Lowry who is literally probably our height
1: the offensive rebound differential it was like 16 to 5 or something yeah i just know that Serge Ibaka just had just as many offensive rebounds than the entire Sixers team
0: and the Sixers out-rebounded the Raptors for almost all that series,
1: too. Yeah, yeah, they definitely. And then at the beginning of the game, the Raptors completely out-rebounded the Sixers. But the offense rebound was 16-5, to and Kyle Lowry had some timely offensive rebounds, too. Kawhi had four. Serge Ibaka had four. Sixers had five as a whole team. So. And Serge Ibaka had a plus-22 that game. He had the highest plus-minus. It was kind of funny, the. One thing that was interesting after the game, the entire Raptors starting five were all on the minus minus except for uh Kyle Lowry was at two plus two, and the whole entire Sixers starting lineup was um in the in the plus. But that one and a half minutes of Greg Monroe where they he was minus nine, that was not a good look for Greg Monroe. He's in there for like a minute and a half and they just torched the Sixers. Joel Embiid was a plus ninety in the series. That's incredible.
2: That that was insane
1: he has so much impact that's not in a box score that people don't really realize. In that one game, I think it was, was it game 6, he used a plus 40, he only had he didn't have like a crazy amount of points, but he just he just impacts the game so much on the defensive end and then even on offense just with how much attention he draws. And the worst part about it is if you look at the box score, Kawhi put up
0: 39 shots and missed. I think he shot like 44% and the Raptors as a whole shot like 38 39%. How many times do you win that game? Like that's like that was a night the Raptors were ready to be had and the Sixers just couldn't do enough to separate. I mean, that's basketball, it happens, but like, like you, that was it.
2: Like oh, man. If uh, you look at it too, I mean, the Sixers won the second through fourth quarters. It was it was just that first quarter that ended up killing them in the end.
1: Yeah, so the the Raptors, like, non-Kawhi Leonard Raptors shot 18 of 40 um, from the field. And then Kawhi was – is right, isn't it? Yeah, and, um, man, if you told me before the game that Kawhi would shoot 39 times and have 41 points, I would have taken that with how the series has gone. Kawhi's usually putting up, like, 25 shots for those, like, 45-point games or – but he's he didn't even have a great shooting night and they still pulled the game out. I, I knew it was going to be a tough gritty defensive game, but kind of I'm over it honestly. I'm looking looking towards NBA draft and Brett Brown's back so.
2: Yeah, um we were yeah, we were talking about it the other day. The more that we think about what could happen this offseason, season, the more optimistic we get. You know, the the heart, you know, we had our heartbreak kind of a few days, but I'm I'm so excited for next year.
0: The thing that made it worse was Kawhi had what was it? Two points against yeah. the Bucks in the quarter.
1: Like that's the fourth quarter, you're not going to show up. I don't know. Or shoot 10 of 26, and that's yeah. the game. Let's move on to Brett Brown. So it didn't take long for Elton Brand to announce that Brett would be back, which which is in, with the greens with everybody in the Sixers fandom. So there definitely would have been some riots and a lot of unhappy Sixers fans in six years players if he did he didn't get fired so justice was served yeah i would have been
2: riding he he had no reason to lose his job um i think josh i think josh Harris and realized that but um I, I feel like that there there were probably some opportunities where they could have came out and explicitly said that Brett is our coach for the foreseeable future i just think it was it was tough to see that those kind of rumors get out especially around you know that time of game 7 so but but at least they they came out right away after the rumors came out and said no Brett is our guy
0: well, Josh Harris gives really weird quotes sometimes too like remember that random press conference they held before game 1 of the net series when like somebody asked him about Brett Brown and Josh Harris was like yeah Brett's our coach and he just gave really weird quotes and like uh was it last year's uh MIT analytics conference when he's like if I don't make the finals I'm going to be disappointed or something like Harris just does a really (laughs) weird job of backing Brett publicly
1: and supposedly Brett Brett said in his his postseason press conference that he knew before the Raptors series that his job was safe so I, I guess I'm not sure it's not our place to say why why that information didn't get out but Brett knew it and 'Cause some people thought that Josh someone within the Sixers organization leaked that report, so some Sixers players should get more motivated, but that's obviously not true. There's definitely some fan and media hysteria over this whole Brett Brown thing. So in reality his job was safe. So and it should have been. He had there's I could talk for ten minutes about why he should be back, but he was he was the best coach in both playoff series. You guys wanna move on to Joel Embiid? Yeah, definitely. Yep. All right, so two days ago, Joel Embiid updated his Twitter and Instagram profile pictures and posted his postseason thank you to Sixers fans and his teammates, and his profile picture was a collage of two pictures of him crying after the Game 7 loss. And I had there were some people that were saying he's childish, and that was annoying, but, like, I'm, I'm all down for
2: Troll Embiid. Yeah, you should never take yourself too seriously. And I think he he embodies that to the absolute fullest. I mean, plus I think he he uses that those kind of things as, as his motivation to get even better, you know, over the course of the year. So, I mean, I don't think people should be really complaining about, you know, what he does with that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. He's going to look at it, use it as motivation, and plus he's a big goofy guy he's not gonna not try and make fun of himself if he can plus if you make fun of yourself it's harder for other
1: people to do it so win-win yeah exactly and every everyone's wired differently like Kawhi Leonard is a super quiet low-key guy and that's the best way he functions and Embiid's just the complete opposite he's if he's loose and laid back and joking around that's the best way he goes so and when he's on the court he's he's fully engaged in in a killer mindset so I I was talking with some buddies and they're saying that like Embiid doesn't have like a hard work ethic and that's like holding him back from being good but it's that's the reason why he's so great that's why everyone loves him so much is because he embraces himself and he's like comfortable with himself so and that just it's probably easier for his teammates too because I feel like sometimes being like having a stick up your butt all the time isn't good so I love Embiid, yeah. love, love love the meme, love that he can joke about himself. So, And you, you know he's going to put in the work
2: this offseason. So. His happy-go-lucky attitude, I feel like, kind of misconstrued to some people that, oh, he doesn't care or he's just kind of going through the motions. But that that's just who he is. He's been that way ever since he got drafted, even when he missed those two years. I mean, just because he's always, you know, joking around, smiling and all that, that doesn't mean that he he has that killer instinct
0: which the national media beats to death sometimes. They want to joke about his Instagram and his Twitter posts and him saying this or doing that, but it really like takes away from the fact that the dude wants to kill people when he's on the basketball court.
1: It's it's kind of like this thing of people have to like they put NBA players in a box and act like they can't have personalities. It's NBA players are people too. So He has every right to joke around and do whatever he wants. And I think it's honestly good for the NBA to have a guy like that because the NBA markets their superstars so well. Having a guy like Embiid that's so lovable by so many people, so marketable, is I mean, the NBA is eating that up. And I think media should eat it up too. It's good for the Sixers also. He's the kind of guy, I mean, not for so like this playoff series, but he's good enough where he's the best center in the NBA. He's good enough to be able to joke around and still get away with it.
2: I mean, Shaq was doing those same exact things back in the '90s. So I mean, why why should why I mean why should you treat Joel any differently?
0: And I'll bet you Embiid works a lot harder than Shaq did.
2: Exactly.
1: I think. Look at it. Embiid's like post playoff assessment. He obviously wasn't healthy, and he played what 42 minutes in or 45 minutes in g- Game Seven. And I thought I thought he looked I thought he looked pretty good in Game Seven. I know he shot like six of 18, but he, I, I'm, I'm surprised he, he was out there and he was still effective at the end of the game. But postseason as a whole, it's the same narrative we've heard for the last three or four years. His health was what held him back, the gastroenteritis, the upper respiratory infection, then his knee tendonitis. So I think this offseason, Embiid's going to put a lot of work into taking care of his body, fixing up his diet, which he already has fixed up. A lot of people were dogging him when he had the, the gastroenteritis that his diet had to been which is really bad, but he already, he fixed that like months ago. I remember seeing reports about that, that he completely changed his whole diet and nutritionist, all that kind of stuff like that. So that's not an issue. I think a whole off-season of Embiid taking care of his body, just LeBron being the ambassador of the NBA is big for guys like Embiid just because you put so much time, money, and effort and take care of your body. It helps for extending your prime and your dominance. You guys have any, like, just thoughts on his playoffs as a whole?
0: They've lived and died with Embiid. Uh, game three, when he was the best player on the floor, they made the Raptors look like a JV team. And the same thing happened in the Nets series. When he's on, they really don't lose.
2: Yeah, he gave it his all in that Game Seven, even though he clearly, you know, wasn't himself. But um, no one should ever be questioning his his desire or passion for the game. I think that that's foolish to ever do that. I just remember before the series, the the one big
1: thing was this team will go as far as Embiid takes them, and if Embiid's the best player in the series, then this team's going to win, and Jimmy Butler was the best player in the, for the Sixers in the series, and Sixers didn't go out on top, so he did. I was a little bit frustrated in the first half of Game 7 because he was settling for a lot of contested mid-range jump shots, like off the dribble and stuff like that, and that's just, just Marcus Gasol, a veteran, knew how to defend him well. So I'm very optimistic just for this offseason, and what six you should do next year
2: real quick can we address the hysteria around uh jimmy's latest instagram post yeah he said to philly and my teammates thank you with two heart emojis yeah
1: i'm not losing sleep
2: over that one me neither man it's an instagram
1: post people just need to people have said that when they've been on have like four years left on their contract three years left on their contract that literally means he's just thanking people for the season there's nothing more to that
0: He's not gonna he come out and said, say, like,
1: I'm ready for next year. Yeah. yeah.
0: Like if he was like, yo, it's been it's been a wild ride, thanks for everything, then I'd be a little worried. But it was short
1: and sweet. He's coming back. I'm feeling it. I'm seeing all these bleacher report like top destinations for Jimmy Butler and Vegas has the Sixers at significant odds to land Jimmy, which is good, but I mean I don't I don't see him going anywhere besides LA or New York or Brooklyn. And I don't even if he wants to win and he wants to get paid, why not stay in Philly? If it comes
0: down to five years and 190 million dollars, I just have such a tough time seeing him saying no. I'm not saying he's coming back, but I mean, if it cut like assuming Elton gives him the fifth year, I don't
1: really see how he does anything else. I mean, the Sixers can pay him 50 million more than anybody else, so. And if he wants a big market, he like J.J. lives in Brooklyn, and if he wants to live near somewhere big, I mean, New York City is like an hour and a half away from Philly, so it's not like he's really far away from a big media city. So, and Philly in itself, if like our fans and the culture in the city is, I think it's the best in sports. I'm obviously biased, but this like the fans in the city love their stars, they embrace them, and I mean after this year, I don't see why he wouldn't stay.
2: I mean, if you assess all his other options, I mean. What other team could he go to that could legitimately give him a chance at a title within two or three years? I mean, he, if he signs with Brooklyn, I mean, what's their ceiling if he goes there and say that they maybe get, I mean, maybe one or one or two other solid, you know, pieces to put around him? Like, what is their ceiling? Are you optimistic that adding Jimmy to that
1: Brooklyn team could flip them from losing four one against the Sixers team? Like, I love Jimmy, but I don't think he's a guy to swing three games like that. They would max
0: out as like a four seed or a five seed, and that's not saying much.
1: I think it just comes down to if it's a basketball decision or if it's a lifestyle decision. And I'm not going to blame a guy for going somewhere for lifestyle purposes. I mean, LeBron did it, but Jimmy has a lot of extracurricular hobbies that he does off the court. So if that's what he wants to do, he wants to end up in L.A. or somewhere like that, then I'm not going to blame him for that. But if it's just for basketball reasons only— and how he acts like he wants to win as much as he does, then stay in Philly. And with the amount of talent that this team has, the older he gets, the less he's gonna have to do. So if he goes to a team where, where he's the guy or he's like option two A with no one other help around him, he's not gonna be able to preserve his body as well.
0: I would definitely question if he wanted to go to Sacramento. That's a little that's a little weird.
1: But Yeah, that, that Bleacher Report <laughs> article.
0: <laughs> and I think it's really hard to see him being like Max level productive during like the next five years. So, yeah, like Jack said, I mean, he could come here and just be himself in greater or lesser roles for the next five years, depending who the Sixers bring in or and are able to retain. His job's only going to get easier as far as like his workload and his role, I think.
2: Yeah, and people are trying to make it out that if he stays here, would he still be? I mean would he get upset not being the number one option? But I mean we saw for that he played 55 games I think for this team. And for a majority of those games, he was the second or third option. But once that fourth quarter rolls around, he is the guy. So to really to to question something like that, I think it just isn't right. And one thing that's
1: so big in all of this for Jimmy and Tobias as well, if going to bring him into it is the better Ben Simmons gets the more it opens up every other Sixers player's game. Like once Ben has that Giannis attack mindset of attacking the rim and is more confident with shooting free throws and then extending his game, that is going to make everyone have such like more high quality looks um, and just spread the offense out so much more. So it's just it's going to get easier from here for Jimmy. And yeah, he turns thirty this summer, and Jimmy says he wants to retire when he's thirty-five. Like you said, Joe, it's going to get easier for him. And this team, this starting five, played ten games together before the playoffs started. I saw the numbers, but this starting lineup on the court, this playoffs, completely dominated everybody. They come back, run it back, build a bench, then we're good.
2: They should want to run it back. Every single one of them should want to.
1: Run it back. If you have a competitive bone in your body, if you want to win basketball games, then... And if you want to get paid, too. So, lottery was Wednesday night. Somehow, the Pelicans had a 6% chance of landing the number one overall pick, and they snagged it. New York got the 3rd pick. Memphis got the 2nd and then the Lakers got the 4th. So, you guys thoughts on Zion to the Pelicans?
2: I mean, if you're AD, I mean, do you rescind your request to to get a trade? That that would, that would be such an that would be such a fun do. That, that's a box office do. It was Zion and AD. I Andrew mean, Holiday too. Yeah, Andrew Holiday. Sources said that AD still wants out. But if if you're him, you have to at least reconsider, you know, your situation right now. It would be it would be disrespectful if you didn't.
0: Like that's just a wild front court if you want to think about it. Like you could have basically the super sized version of Julius Randle and Anthony Davis, the two of them just roaming around the rim. That would be incredible.
1: I mean, this is gonna be. Anthony's like it's gonna be Anthony Davis's best frontcourt partner he's ever had. And this year, as of now, the Pelicans, if they if everyone opts into their team options and player options, they still have forty million left for their offseason. So they could potentially go out and get a max guy. So let's say A D stays, Drew stays, they have Zion you could go out and I would hate to say this but a guy like Tobias Harris or, or let's say Gordon Hayward opts out of his contract with the Celtics his player option you could throw a, you have a lineup of Drew Holiday, Anthony Davis, Zion Williamson or in like Gordon Hayward or, or Tobias Harris and that's one of the best teams in the west I'd say So yeah, I mean good. if you're AD you definitely have to think about your options
2: Yeah but um, a friend of mine pointed it out if AD you know changes his mind on wanting out of New Orleans, he will look like the biggest fraud of all time with with all the theatrics that were surrounding, you know, his end-of-season end remarks and everything like that. It would it would be a bad look, kind of. It I would think definitely make him look soft. I see the point in that, but AD's thing is he wants
1: to win, and you get gener- generational talent like Zion. I mean, if he wants to win, he could, with this roster, he has a better chance of winning with this roster than... I'd say the Knicks. Let's say he gets traded to the Knicks. Um assuming like they only get like one other guy. But this team would be there'd be a lot of time. They'd be decently deep with Drew A. D. Let's say Julius Randle comes back and then we got Ja back up center. So I mean man, that team would be fun to watch. And they can get a shooter too. Bring in Seth Curry or somebody like that this offseason, Wayne Ellington. But I, I think he's I think he still gets traded. I've seen reports of them trading him to the Knicks for that third overall pick. It's a
2: top. They just saved, they just saved basketball in New Orleans for the for the foreseeable future.
1: No, so I'm actually writing an article about that for Clutch Points right now. Just that it like the Pelicans, if they didn't get that first overall pick and AD left, they'd be probably the first team to get relocated to let's say Seattle or Las Vegas or one, another, one of these other cities that wants an NBA team. So. Zion literally saved this franchise.
0: They sold 3,000 season tickets, like, the
1: day after. 3,000. David Griffin is magic. Don't know... I don't know what he's done. This is, what, his fourth time his team has won the lottery? Fourth or fifth? So that guy's... He is Gandalf. Is that Lord of the Rings? Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, this is, like, completely random, but I was doing my draft profiles last night. But... Rui Hachimura is a spitting image of Paul Millsap. Go watch his highlights and tell me I'm wrong. I love Rui Hachimura. He's insane. Go watch his highlights. Like once we're done with this, and like I was watching it last night, and people compared him to De'Von Harris, and I just was watching his game, and he's like a six eight, six nine power forward. He's not a small forward. He's not fast enough, and he doesn't have like crazy athleticism, but he can get that like fifteen footer off. He has a decent three point shot, and Literally, Paul Mills. I'm not saying he's gonna be that good, but his game models looks like Paul Mills does. He has the most
2: interesting background of, of anyone I've ever seen in the draft. He like barely speaks English. Wow. Yeah, like he yeah went to high school in uh, Japan, right? And he was yeah. just dominating over there. I mean, it, it, that just that's so cool to me. I, I love those those kinds of stories.
0: He'd be um, a fun dude on the international Sixers.
1: All right, so you guys are gonna move on to New York. So I was watching the lottery and I saw L. A. and New York at the bottom, and that would have been insane if L. A. got that first pick. Um, they probably would have traded it for Anthony Davis, anyways. But, um, man, New York, even not even New York too. All the teams that had the highest chance for uh the top pick, they New York was
2: the only, they got third, and they had, they were tied for the best odds. You know, watching ESPN the the next day or two will will make you fully understand why Stephen A gets paid as much as he does. Because I mean, he he produced so much content over the over the course of those few days about New York just getting absolutely screwed in that draft. I mean, I mean, but they did. I mean, in their defense, they did. Um, I mean, I mean, I I think they'll be fine. But I mean, it, it was it was funny to see though. Stephen
0: A was in peak form after the Knicks got the third pick. He was hilarious. And also, with all these uh, top teams not getting the first pick or even the top three, really, it makes you appreciate what Hinky did so much more. They tanked the at process
2: the, at the right time. I was going to yeah. say, they, they tanked at the right time.
0: Because the logic of the worst teams not having, like, superior odds... Like, what is it? The top three have, like, 14% or something? Yeah. Like, just keeping bad teams from getting good players doesn't solve tanking. Like, you might try harder, and that doesn't mean anything. Like, I just hate when people get this, like, ethical image of, like, bad teams in their head. I'd rather have somebody go in to being bad with a plan than being bad with incompetence and not knowing how to get out.
2: Yeah, this is not going to stop teams from tanking at all. You know, obviously, this lottery proved that the new system could make it even more unpredictable, but if teams still can get that 14% chance of getting that number one overall pick, that's a chance that they're going to be taking every single time.
1: Oh, yeah, by far. And Memphis got lucky, too, getting that second pick, so... Looks like John Morant will go there, and yeah, I think I would not have liked if Chicago or Phoenix got Zion. Um, I thought I couldn't imagine if Atlanta got Zion having a lineup with Trey Young, Kevin Herter, Zion, John Collins. That would have been absolutely insane. It's gonna be interesting. I think AD is. I think he's definitely gonna be traded before draft night. I think it's gonna depend between. LA and New York New York can offer a better pick and because I think it's it's definitely a top three draft it's three man draft like a lot of people have said but it's AD's definitely going to be moved I think and if he stays that'll be that'll be interesting too
2: so you know New York could offer the better pick but if LA throws in their pick along with two or three of their young core I feel like there's there's an argument to be made that that's a better package for him yeah,
1: because New York can throw in that third pick, Mitchell Robinson and Kevin Knox, and then maybe Alonzo Trier, and then let's say Lakers throw in that fourth pick, Alonzo uh, Ball maybe, Kyle Kuzma, and then one of those two, and then, or Brandon Ingram and then Josh Hart. We'll see. I, don't, Man, I Brand, think Brandon Ingram with Zion would be fun to watch.
2: I don't think they would include Ingram in that deal. I think they like him a little too much. Yeah, Ingram Ingram's got a lot of upside.
1: So I was, I was, I was uh, listening to the Will Cain show the other day, and he proposed a change to the lottery. So basically, all the lottery teams, the fourteen teams, they play in a tournament. Whoever wins the tournament gets the first pick. So I don't think that'd be kind of a, a it would never happen. There wouldn't be a change to the lottery like this, but that'd be
2: a fun little way to get the first pick if they were to ever change it. That'd be fun. The one that I saw was on moving the lottery to the day of the draft.
1: Oh. Man, the pressure on those GMs in front office guys—that'd be helter skelter. That'd be insane. Do you know how many people would lose jobs
0: based on ping pong balls? Oh my God! Like if you couldn't get like a top three pick. Oh, that'd be that'd be nuts.
2: Uh, if you if NBA is really going for that entertainment value, they would seriously look into that,
0: or give them like uh like a like, one hour period or, like, half hour between the lottery and the draft. Just, like, like, fix your boards. One, two, three, go.
1: Man, I have cameras in all those rooms with those guys, that'd be complete anarchy. That would suck to be, like,
0: like, one of, like, the film room interns or, like, a scouting intern. You're probably, like, literally running all over the facility digging up old, like, Background checks and film and this and that and fixing the board and trying to mock who would go before you that would suck.
1: There'd definitely be a lot more front office positions in there. That'd be absolutely crazy. I would live. So let's move. You guys done with it? Uh, Any other lottery thoughts? I'm good. Nope. All right. So it's draft profile season for all the listeners. We're gonna starting. Uh, this week, every day, we're going to have a draft profile loaded up just of all the top 40-ish prospects. So keep your eye out for those. Sixers, as of right now, have the 24th pick, and then they have the 33rd and 34th in the second round, and they have a few more later in the second round. So you guys have any thoughts on what the Sixers should do with those picks and or who potential guys they should grab with that 24th picker? 33 and 34.
2: As the days go by, I really am more convinced that they're going to try to trade those those two seconds to get back into the first. I mean, it, it makes it makes a lot of sense. You know, they're, they're going to be going for guys who can contribute right away. And, you know, late first round is where a lot of those types of players are going to be, I think. Yeah, I agree.
0: It makes no sense to add three rookies, uh, like, in that. Uh, part of the draft uh, like you said their timetables at the point where they're not going to draft a project so yeah if they could move up that'd be huge uh, I would say their first two picks need to be probably the best like this might sound a little dumb but the best scorer and maybe the best defender they can find at any position like if you could snag like Matisse, Thibel and either Ty Jerome, Carson Edwards That'd be huge.
1: Carson Edwards is Lou Williams
0: 2.0. I was starting to think that that's one of the profiles I claimed, and I'm already preparing myself to just lock in on that kid. Like, the Sixers haven't had a lead ball handler that can shoot a three since, like, Chase Randall. Like, as bad as that sounds, yeah. Like, having a ball handler that can just come down. And like step back on a screen or like sidestep one and shoot a contested jump shot is gonna do so much for this offense. And I think Carson Edwards could really be that guy. He could also play with Ben too. Like that would fit on the court. So yeah. Well, that's I a guy him. I'm definitely preparing to like start crushing on.
1: I love him. I don't know if you guys know much about Taylor Horton Tucker from Iowa State. Um for no reason at all, a huge Big 12 guy. So watch a lot of Big 12 basketball, but he's six four, has over a seven-foot wingspan. He's 6'4", 235, and he'd be a, one of those guys that can have immediate success. He's a 3 and D type of guy. He's like a uh, really good defender with blocks and steals, but he's really well. Uh, he can overpower guards inside. He kind of has a comparison to Marcus Smart with a seven-foot wingspan and has a lot more weight on him. And a more capable three-point shot. He only averaged 11 points, four rebounds, and three assists this year. But if you watch any highlights of him or games, he's he can finish anywhere inside. He's really good at getting his position. His he already can hit step-back threes, um, going uh, both left and right. So he has one of those. He's one of those guys that could be a really good complementary piece coming off the bench for the Sixers. And then also, if, I'm not positive this will happen, but if Cam Johnson falls,
2: my gosh. He gives me a lot of uh, Covington vibes at times just, just with his, his size and his length and but it's still but and he's still mobile. I mean a lot of a lot of the mock drafts have him like between eighteen and twenty four. But if you can snag him at twenty four if your other options aren't there, that would be huge.
0: Isn't he in like the ninety like seventh percentile on spot up threes? Yep. Something crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Kyle Guy's it's- the ninety nine percentile. That's a guy you could just tell to, like, Cam Johnson could play from day one on the Sixers. Like, just tell him to run to the corner every single chance he gets.
1: And one thing about him, too, he's not just a spot-up shooter, too. He's uh, living in North Carolina. I've just inevitably seen a lot of games. And and he can, I mean, if he can spot up and he can take a few dribbles off that, he's a a decent playmaker, too, and he has high basketball IQ. So he can make make plays off those spot-ups. So he's not, not just... He's not like just a spot up sh- shooter by itself. So, and he can put the ball on the floor when he wants to. So he's pretty. He's he's a lot of potential. I think. I think he's gonna be a a white collar Anthony Tolliver. Wow, that's a yeah. good
2: one. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. But um, yeah, and and he can defend a little bit too. I mean, his his quickness isn't all there right now, but he could hypothetically guard threes and fours, maybe twos. But yeah, he he's got to be one of their their top priorities.
1: I definitely think that Caesar should trade those 33 and 34th picks, get back in that first round. But if you guys had to have three, let's say like realistically, you have a guy at 24, and then they keep 33 and 34. What are like realistic picks at each of those spots if it was like perfect world you guys could get?
2: Um. If, he's in, if he falls to the second round, obviously, Jerome. Um, but the two guys, the two second-round guys I'm looking at are at Carson Edwards and Admiral Schofield.
0: I'm not sure Carson gets past – I'm not sure he gets to the second round. I think that's a guy you got to take in the first if you can, or if you want him. I, like, I wouldn't bank on him getting that far.
1: But 33-34 – uh... He's good size too. He's six foot one ninety five. So he's, I I think the more teams see him, and the more they get to know him, because I've I've read some stuff that he's like a really good guy too, really good teammate, culture guy. So I I don't, man, I I could see him going at like twenty, anywhere from like twenty to thirty. He's really athletic too. Like he can dunk the ball.
2: Yeah. Like him and Thibault's like stock has like risen significantly over the course of the last month. I think Thibel could be like
0: an early second round guy. Like the like the NB like the NBA Combine people like got intel on who to invite to the Combine. And Thibault wasn't on it. And I just have a weird feeling he's the guy that the internet likes more than actual basketball people. I mean I kind of hope that's true so they could get him at thirty four if that happens. But I'll yeah like Joe said, I wouldn't mind like an Admiral Schofield, Eric Paschal type guy just to be like a
1: defensive like tweener forward. Dylan Windler from Belmont, the 6'8 lefty uh, shooting guard slash small forward. His, he has a super quick uh, release on his jump shot, and he's pretty athletic. He's sneaky athletic too. He's was he was going off in the NCAA that, tournament.
0: Was he the one that was like a really good golfer and almost quit basketball to play golf?
1: I'm not sure. I wouldn't be surprised though. Kind of has that golf that golf look to him.
0: I just remember uh, during the turn the tournament, uh, Jay Billis said he reminds him of a left-handed Gordon Hayward, and that's all I could like keep in my head when I was watching him play.
1: He's a great basketball player. He can she can score. The thing is, is he he can create space on. I mean, there Belmont was playing decent teams in the tournament, and he was. Just, creating space on decent defenders like against uh when they're playing Maryland, he had a really good game against them in the tournament and he's that that jump shot is like super quick release. So I think he'd be a guy in a couple of years that could be a really good contributor off the bench. But if at, at twenty four, I think Tyler Harrow, if uh if he fell, that'd be nice. Obviously Cam Johnson, but I wouldn't mind Taylor Horton Tucker. The more I watch and Horton Tucker the more I starting to convince myself and also that inevitably happens when you do draft profiles you like just fall in love with the guys you do profiles for but I think he has a lot of potential and he has real a lot of potential to fall also
2: real quick um, what do, you, do you what are the chances that you guys think that the that they look at potentially using one of their picks on like a, a young center to try to add more competition to the backup uh, five role I feel like uh, what's their what's their um What's their latest uh, second-round pick? Was it 42nd, something like that? They have a they have
1: a 42nd, and then I believe they 54. have um,
2: 54. Yeah, 54. Yep, yeah, that's right, right. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they used it on a on just a, a center to bring in competition.
0: Taco fall on a two-way contract at 54. Oh, feed me that. I want 54 to be Taco Fall or Kyle Guy. And I'll say it till the day of the draft.
1: That be, Taco yeah, that
2: was, he broke the combine.
1: Man, was it? He's a ten-two and a half standing reach. It's I can insane. Eight-two wingspan or something like that. Yeah. Also, Charles Bass is another center that would fall. That could potentially fall, but I'd rather take Kyle Guy or Kyle Guy or Taco
2: Fall. Yeah, Taco Falls official measurements. Seven foot five and a quarter without shoes, seven seven with shoes, 289, uh, eight foot two wingspan, 10 foot two standing reach, 6.8% body fat. Man, that's insane. Uh, Going
0: back to Maryland, speaking of backup centers, Bruno Fernando is a guy that I wouldn't mind the Sixers taking as a backup center.
1: He's got a lot of potential. He moves well, too, for a big guy. He's got a decent jump shot, too. Yeah, I watched a few. I watched three or four. One of my buddies is um, big Maryland guy, and I watched a few games, and he, he really impressed me a lot. As did uh, Kevin Gelly from Florida State. He's another center that I could see being a really good backup for Embiid. Super athletic, can block shots, get rebounds.
0: I think that's a position they add in free agency. Like, I think your backup five has to be like a veteran defensive guy but I really wouldn't mind them adding like a young center to like groom and have them be productive like a year or two down the road.
1: Yeah, it's true because the Sixers, like we were talking about in the Slack and stuff, and I don't see them using more than two, maybe three roster spots for rookies next year. And then you also have, I mean, Shake and then Zaire also. So, I mean, some of these guys, like if Kyle Guy would be a G League guy next year, definitely a two-way, and then... Same with Taco, if that happens. Well,
0: they also have to convert Shake to a a, a full time contract because him and Haywood are both on two way two year deals, which I didn't know were a
2: thing. Oh yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I feel like they they have to convert Shake. I understand if you wouldn't give if you wouldn't convert Haywood, but I think Shake proved enough that that he should be worthy of a of
0: a full time deal. At the very worst, Shake is like your fourth shooting guard or point
1: guard. Like, he's I mean, yeah. just having on the bench. TJ's gone, most likely. So, I mean, replace him with Shake. Exactly. This team's going to have enough talent next year, assuming guys come back, that throwing in Shake for 12 minutes a game is not going to hurt you that much. So, especially if Jimmy's in there running the point guard, he can just throw him in. He's like a spot up shooter. Wouldn't be too bad.
2: Can we talk real quick about how, if Golden State continues to play that at this kind of level without KD, then he's he's absolutely gone this offseason? They're twice as fun to watch without Kevin Durant, honestly.
1: They're definitely not as good without Kevin Durant, but they're so much more fun to watch.
0: Everything's just so much more organic when he's not on the floor. Like, you have to account for Steph and Clay running around the perimeter, and then, like, you try and like blitz him or trap them, and then like Iggy slips the screen and then like throws a short roll pass to Draymond or something like it, like it's just like like the Spursy like pure form of basketball to like the 10th degree.
2: Just the scoring bursts that they go on when they when they run that system. I was watching that game and I swear they they went on that 11 11-0, 11-0 13-0 run and maybe 40 it felt like 40 seconds in real time. Or
0: did everything you can't do against Golden State in the matter of, like, 50 seconds. Like, come down, shoot poor quality shots early in the clock, and then just forget where Steph and Clay are.
1: I just knew the Blazers were up 18, and I told my buddy, I was like, dude, it's, Warriors are coming back. Like, it's, and they could do it in two minutes, and they did. By the end of that third quarter, is super close game. It's yeah. just crazy how fast, and you, you, you don't even realize it either. You'll get the score, and they're down 18, and when the Warriors are down 18, it's like the average team's down by five. You just know that they can go on that run so quick, especially in this are historically great in the third quarter. You just know it's about time that they're just going to come back and like, shoot the lights out within the span of two or three minutes.
2: Like Watching them over the course of the last few games is really a throwback to that first title team. Just the constant movement, the outrageous scoring bursts in the third quarter. That's when you that, that's when I loved that team back in those days.
1: And Draymond Green's game opens up a lot more without KD there. I'm not saying they're obviously better with KD, but Draymond has a lot more freedom when he's on the floor without KD. Like a lot more freedom to like cut to the basket. He's really active in that first quarter and just throughout the game too. Could have the ball in his hands more and it's just so there's so much fun to watch. I don't I don't hate this Warriors team without Kevin Durant. When Kevin Durant's on there, that makes me hate them. I don't hate Clay, Steph, or Draymond, but just when KD's on there, you just it's hard to root for him. But without it, it's I mean this team is built from the bottom up. You can't get mad at him for it. Mm. Oh yeah, also the Warriors finally went after Kanner because historically, he's, through his career, he's not been a really good perimeter defender, so they just keep drawing him onto... Uh, near the three-point line, and they're just they just been toasting him. So I've, the Blazers have been playing a decent amount of Zach Collins because he's more capable perimeter defender. So one thing was good: the Warriors were going after Kanner. so just get him off the floor because he's a super high-volume rebounder.
2: All you have to do is just run P and R against Kanner, and that's it.
0: It's amazing how he's been so bad at that for so long, and just hasn't improved whatsoever. I had to play Myers Leonard last night. That's how bad he was. At the end of the game, too. Yeah, He played well. I mean, good for him. Yeah. Drilled
1: a three. I was shocked. He's a capable shooter. I, I just mean, want to briefly talk about how funny game one was, the, the bucks raptors series. Lowry goes off, and then the Bucks counter that with Brooke Lopez having a career night, like 29 points. I think he, he shot like 21 times and he just was the Raptors killer so I, I was like Lowry's gonna give you your best game and then Kawhi doesn't show up that's kind of a really bad sign for the Raptors because if Lowry shows up which isn't gonna happen a lot of times that's one of those games if Lowry shows up you steal you steal one of those games because Kawhi is usually pretty consistent Kawhi wasn't consistent and then other guys weren't Siakam's played decently well but I don't know it just made me laugh
0: he took like I, four charges too. Like Kyle Lowry will stand in front of an
2: elephant and take a charge. Urson had a few he's also. In
0: front of everybody.
2: Yeah. What if I told you five years ago that Brook Lopez would be one of the best lockdown shooters among big men in the league? In 2012, he attempted zero three pointers
1: in his career, I think, and now he's—that's his entire game.
0: I love watching him like step into threes. It takes like an hour. For him to like catch the ball and like get it out of his hand. And like everybody in the building knows what he's doing. It takes him 40 seconds to shoot it. And he still gets it off. And in. like it's he's funny to watch. His interviews are funny too. He's an interesting guy. And his shot, sele- shot selection is like he's like J.R. Smith sometimes too. Like he's shooting
1: it before he catches it that's so true actually. And when he's hitting those when he's shooting those 35 footers, when he gets in that yeah, groove, Yeah, he's a walking it's, heat check. Yeah. A large, slow walking heat check. Appreciate you guys listening to this latest episode of the 6 Cents podcast. Follow us at 6cents on Twitter and visit us at the This
0: is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently to the untrained ear. Everything on his shop floor might sound fine,